Amen. Well, good morning, church. It's always good to see you. What a joy it is to get to spend a little time together, worshiping the Lord, and get to spend time hanging out for a little bit, connecting with each other, connecting with him and each other. And um, <clears throat> for those of you who weren't here last week, and if you're new to us, um, we started last week a new series called Fruit of the Spirit. And um, I got corrected at the end of the service. Uh, if you weren't here, I had a nice, big, juicy apple that uh, we were talking about, the fruit of the Spirit. And I, it was a nice, big, big, red, delicious. And I, with the sound in here, and you could hear it just ripping. And I apologize. Some people thought, oh, my goodness, he's smacking in our ears. <laughs> Other people was like, I want one of those. And so we did. We, we passed those out last week at the end of the service just for you to enjoy. And, um, and I did have, because at the end of the service, I did it again. And I had one of my former youth who corrected me. And I said, those of you who are not in the house, hey, you that are out there watching, you can't experience this. And he corrected me right like as soon as I got off here. He's like, uh-huh, but we can turn it down when you're smacking that out. I'm like, Yes, you can. That you get to do. <laughs> so with that, I do want to say we're going to continue on this journey. Um, it's, we simply call it fruition, which fruition is simply this, the ability to produce fruit. And it's God's ability to produce fruit in us. And so we looked at last week and we came to the understanding, and this is a big understanding most of the church is not aware of. That we are spiritual beings having a physical experience. We are not physical beings having a spiritual experience, which is major. It's huge because then it means we just happen to show up and, oh, we're going to have this experience, maybe or maybe not. Instead of, and we looked last week at John, um, I mean at Psalms 139 where David said, he had the revelation that before I was even formed, before you even formed, before one day of, that I'm supposed to live out in the gifts and, and how he, he planned for me to do this life well, before one of them came into being, you knew me. Like you already knew me. And we're going to look at some different scriptures over the course of this, this study we're doing to show that exact thing. And it brings us to the point of this simple fact, you and I, none of us are an accident, Period. Because the enemy would like to say, well, you, you know, God had some plans for that person. But you, you just kind of showed up and went, what am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> Hold it. Where, how did he show up? How did she show up? What am I going to do? And it's completely contrary to the word of God. And so in Genesis, we're going to go there this morning real quick. In Genesis chapter 1. After God had set everything up, just like a nursery, just like all my, my young moms and dads, when, when they have these babies, you know, you go into a house and you would think there's a baby in there living because there's a room or there's something set apart or set up and they have these things called showers because the mother knows she needs them right there before she can't take one after the baby. I'm only kidding. We know that's not what that is. <laughs> She's not going to be able to get one because the baby's going to be crying. Um, no, it's where friends and loved ones come and shower them with gifts for their newborn. And you would think if you walked in the house before the baby even shows up, you'd be like, man, look at all this baby stuff. And there's no baby there. Well, God did the same thing. He set everything up for us. He set the atmosphere. I mean, we'd have just been floating out in space if we'd have been created first. 
And we've been like, whoa, how do we, there's no gravity, there's no anything. And so he sets everything up. And on the sixth day, he creates us after he's got everything in order. And in, in uh, verse 26, this is where, it's, where he's speaking. And by the way, everything was created by God's spoken word, which is powerful for us that we need to pay attention to God's spoken word. We need to pay more attention to what he says than what the enemy or ourselves tell ourselves. Self-talk is good as long as it lines up with scripture. And so then God said, let us, and that us to me, I understand, is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He wasn't just having this multiple thing. He's like, hey, let us make mankind in our image in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea. Where's all my fishermen in here? Y'all got the stories. Y'all know y'all ruling. Like, woo, uh-huh. Mm, got them. They got it. Look at this. <laughs> well, I got pictures of some too. We all got them. So they rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air. Where are my hunters? Uh-huh. Y'all got that too. Um, in the sky, over the livestock and all the animals. We've seen uh, people, I don't know if you've ever been to a circus or anything, where you see these men with, there's nothing between them. They got these lines like, you know, and you're like, you know, and they've got them under control. They have them. Now, that personally for me, that's not my calling. Praise God. He did not call me to stand and tame lions. I'll tell you, my one lion story in there was when I went to Kingdom Kids Camp. I was a director, and they actually, it was a refuge for animals that they had, animals that had been hurt in the wild or whatever, and they would come and nurse them back to help, and they had a lion there. And anybody that had been to camp there knows this lion, when it decided to roar, it didn't matter where you were on campus, you could hear it and you're like, whoa. Well, one day I got busy and I, I, I didn't get to get in there. And they were very gracious to me, the directors of the camp, because we brought a lot of kids. And they said, I said, hey, is there any way I can get in? I just like to walk through and look at the animals. And they said, sure. So they let me in. And I was looking. They had a hyena. They had bears, lions, and tigers, and bears. Oh, my. You know, they had it. And they had this, this lion. And I thought, I'm going to go. I, I just got fixated on him. He was a big lion. And I thought, you know, I'm going to stare him down. Like, I'm going to stare. You know how you can stare a dog down? You can stare him down. If you look right at him, they're finally, they're looking at you. I ain't looking. Uh-oh, uh-oh you ain't looking. I got you. So I thought, I've got, I've got authority over this thing, and I'm going to stare him down. I'm going to stare him down. And so I'm looking at him, and I'm, I get there, and it's just me back there with him, and I'm just, yeah. And he's looking at me, and I'm sitting there, mm-hmm, I ain't blinking. I ain't blinking. You're the king of the beast, but I'm king over you. I got you. And as I'm sitting there, he looked away. His eyes went to the side. And I went, mm-hmm, gotcha. And I thought I am the man. I just stared a lion down until just about a few seconds later, he goes like this. And he goes, Rah! and I'm sitting there going, oh, okay. I'm going to walk over here now. <laughs> I go to the little monkeys. I don't want to mess with the lion. Anyhow. He gave us authority over all of these creatures. Everything, and this is for you people that struggle with some of the bugs and stuff, everything that moves along the ground. (laughs) Some of y'all still like I was trying to work authority over that. Some of y'all are trying to work authority over that. Like, I don't do bugs, man. I don't do roaches. I don't do snakes. I I ain't do lizards. No, I ain't messing with those. He said he gave us authority over them. 
And it says that, so God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God. He created them, male and female, he created them. And I want to say to you in this, God created too, and I know in our culture, we have a struggle that's going on. Like, no, he created male and female, and he created us in his image and in his likeness. And when we look at this image of likeness, it's important to understand he wasn't simply talking about physical. God is a spirit. So he wasn't talking about we're going to be made in his physicals because some people really have this view of God as this old man with a long white beard. Anybody ever had that when you were growing up? Like, hey, here's God's this old man up in heaven on his big throne, got this big, white, long beard and all wise and knowing. But he wasn't talking about that. It was something much more powerful in that it conveys, when we talk about image in the Greek uh, I mean, in the Hebrew, and this actual where it says image, it's Thessalon, and then likeness is demut. And when we look at those together, they're similar. It's not to be image and likeness. It's both because both of them tell the story of God wanted us to be like him but not to be him. And so it goes on in this, in this, the object, when we say object, uh, when we say image and likeness, the idea is the object is similar to or representative of something else, but not identical to it. And so when we say he's made us in his likeness, he didn't make us him. <laughs> he made us like him, which is a word for somebody they need to get off their throne and actually put him back on there. But we'll talk about that another day. If you think, hey, I know somebody like that, it might be you, so be careful. Don't, put a point, don't point a finger. It says this also in the New Testament, this is an interesting fact. The word for image is icon, which is where we get our word icon. So when we see icons, so if I were to show all these icons of different businesses, different teams and everything, you'd be going, oh, I know what that is because the icon, it represents that team. It represents that thing. And so it conveys virtually the same meaning as Hebrew. So both languages indicate God created us humans to be similar, but certainly not identical to himself Therefore, from a biblical perspective, human beings, each one of us, are in some sense both like God, who are made, uh, who are like him and unlike him, the God who made us. We're unlike him in that he's not physically created. Now, the beautiful thing about the imagery of Jesus becoming like us is totally incredible that God, Jesus in heaven, was nothing like us. He was God the Son perfect in all his ways and he stayed perfect even here but he took on our image and he instead of us bearing his image he took on our image and bore our image and will for all eternity and so when we look at this thing and in in theology this uh, study of of image and study of likeness there's three main points when we talk about the uh, image of God and they are the resemblance view the relational view and the representative view and so it, as you can tell by the words, the resemblance view simply says this. It asserts that we possess a formal nature that serves to resemble God. This nature then bears certain qualities, characteristics, and endowments such as spiritual, rational, volitional, like we get to choose, relational, immortal, powerful. That makes us like God. And this is a perspective largely that's been taught. 
The second one is the relational view, which is while allowing for, um, for the idea of formal traits, nevertheless, insists that we are most like God when it comes to the unique ability and our relational qualities, like we relate. So we're different than anything else created on this planet. Nothing's like us. Nothing's like you on this whole planet. And so when people try to elevate something, uh, an animal or, or some type of anything, when they try to elevate it above the human, they can't because we're the only thing on this planet that bear his image and his likeness. And so uh, it's our ability to engage in complex interpersonal relationships that reflects the divine nature echoing the community life, the communal life. Like us in this room right now, we're able to come together and be a part and do life together. Not like, hey, this is one where we have this, this, this divinity, this divine nature, where we're able to reason and to connect with each other. This is popular today as well. And then the last one is this representative view. And this is one that insists that beings made in the image of God is more about what a person um, does than what a person is. And so that whole thing, like I demonstrate God's power, I demonstrate his likeness and I, I represent him when I take dominion over an animal, when I take a dominion over a situation and it says, hey, then I'm a representative, I'm representing what God is, he has dominion over everything. And so when we look at this and you say um, that, hey, I've got this, all, all three of these work and I believe all of them are characteristics we have, it's funny but it doesn't, the one image that we always think of when we think about God is this outward exterior, the one we spend the most time with, the one, the one we most spend, we spend most of our time trying to please. We spend most of our time trying to get it in order and trying to make it look good and trying to make it feel good and trying to, we spend so much time on this stuff here that, hey, um, that we've got to be careful that, um, like Jesus said, out of the bunch of the heart, the inside, this mouth is going to speak. These ears are going to listen. These eyes are going to go. And so we've got to spend more time with the spiritual, the inside, than we do on the outside. And I know that's not any great revelation to some of you, but it may be a truth that may need to be reminded because it's this. Here's a three-step order. It's this. We have a spirit that needs to be redeemed. We have a soul that must be restored, and then we have a body that must be surrendered. <laughs> and so this flesh always wants to do what it wants to do. Anybody can say amen to that one? I mean, Paul said it best. We're not going to turn there. In, Luke, in Romans chapter 7, Paul said, you know, the things I don't want to do, I do. The things I want to do, I don't do. Who will do? Man, I can't get this right. How am I going to, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? And he says, thank be to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that's the answer to that. And so as we move into this, the spirit realm, this whole thing of the fruit of the spirit. And by the way, many of us know that the word spirit in both the Greek and uh, in the Hebrew in which the Old Testament is written in and the, the, the Greek in which the New Testament is written in, it means breath. It means, it means this, this fresh air. This, it's like on a hot, sunny day, and you get in the shade, and this fresh air just blows through you, and you're just like, wow, that just feels so good. It's a, it's a refreshing that takes place. And so when we talk about the Holy Spirit, this breath of fresh air producing fruit in us, 
We're not simply talking about the fruit. Now, I did use an apple last week, and we'll use something today, by the way. We'll give something to you. We're, I'm gonna give, by the way, we're going to give you some little something every week just to help you remind you we're talking about fruit. And I thought, it's, it's Valentine's Day, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of deviate a little bit off of the fresh fruit. I know we had a lot of you raising your hand like, I'm a fresh fruit eater. I like it. I do too. And then we also, on the same breath, we said people have fruit go bad in their house, but they don't have little Debbie pies going bad. <laughs> they don't have ice cream going out of date or anything, but whoo, they have that fruit. It sits there. But So we have some uh, little cherry pies and, of course, apple that I'm not going to crunch in front of you. But you'll get those on your way out when we're talking about this fruit, reminding you that he's wanting to produce this in you. Why is this so important? It's simply this. I can't produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit without the Holy Spirit. You can't produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit without the Holy Spirit. It's that simple. I've got to simply yield to the Holy Spirit's wooing to his thing. And matter of fact, we're going to read, and each week we'll read these few verses in Galatians chapter 5, where Paul brings this out to the church at Galatia. And he says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide you. I'm reading in the New Living Translation. Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. And another, King James says, your flesh, this body, this stuff right here, what it wants. Your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. In other words, when we're allowing the Holy Spirit to produce the fruit in us that he wants to, then we're not obligated. We'll, we'll follow everything. It'll, it'll line up with God's word. But he goes on and he gives us a list of the sinful nature. And I told you, nobody, you don't got to raise your hand in this. I know I could raise my hand in just about all of these back in the day. And it says... When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. They're evident. Here they are. You ready? Sexual immorality. That's not happening today at all. Never. Impurity. Not a chance. Lustful pleasures. No way. Dissension. Division. What? That's in the church. Uh, Envy. Drunkenness. Wild parties and other sins like these. Let, the, let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so Paul's warning the church at Galatians. He's saying, hey, really these are evidence and you see them, but I want to make you aware of them. But he didn't want to simply stay there because he said, he goes on to say in verse um, 22, it says, but. And as I've taught you before, when you see the word but, you, you don't put so much emphasis on what was said before. You do acknowledge it and you recognize it, but you go towards what he's actually trying to say. It's like if somebody said, hey, you haven't done a very good job, but you're thinking, hey, what's going to happen? I, I may not have done well, but some good could come out of this. Something could happen. You start thinking on, hey, what's going to happen there? And so, or if somebody says, hey, you've done a really good job, but you start worrying, uh-oh, I didn't do good enough. You start thinking that way. Well, when, when Paul writes to the church of Galatia, these things are evident, but 
the Holy Spirit produces, and these are the fruits we're talking about, this kind of fruit, and we said it's not fruits, it's one that has nine different flavors. So it's like for those of you that like to go to the snow cone place, and you're like, no, I want some of that red, I want some of that blueberry, and I want some of that cherry, and I want some of that strawberry, I want it all, and I'm going to make this big hodgepodge of that, and then you drink it up. Well, this is what the Holy Spirit is developing. He says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Did you imagine those of you as small children who said, hey, look, now you're being way too kind to your little brother and your little sister. <laughs> I'm sorry, but you just love them too much. You got to stop. You're being too peaceful right now. Could you imagine that? There's no law. You don't have to make up anything. Those things will naturally take care of yourself. And so last week we looked at logically. By the way, these are in order that I believe God wanted us to see them in. Because it starts with love. And I want to tell you everything in our life starts with love. It's the first fruit that God gives us because it's who God is. Matter of fact, John, the gospel writer who also wrote uh, the Revelation and also wrote to the churches, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, he's the one that said God isn't, it's not what he does, it's who he is. He said God is love. And so um, everything is that God does is out of love. When he redeems us from our past mistakes and failures, it's all based on love. When he disciplines us for our present mistakes, failures, and shortcomings. It's out of love. Matter of fact, we're not turning there, but in Hebrews chapter 12, he goes on to tell us of how it's because of he disciplines those he loves. Everything that he does, it's out of love. And it even says, John 5, 8, that he demonstrated his love that while we were still messing up, Jesus died for us. And so our next one this morning, we're gonna look real quick at this fruit called joy. <laughs> say that with me, everybody. Say joy. And you know when you say joy, your face automatically goes joy. <laughs> and so it's amazing because it's one fruit that the church needs more than ever today is joy. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, um, joy can do a lot of things for a person's life. It's amazing because when you look at, at the church as a whole, many times people look at, people go to church and they look like they've been sucking on some raw persimmons or something, you know, like, Ew. you know, I remember years ago when I was working on my hunting skills and I had some uh, friends of mine that were gonna help me and we were wandering some property and they were going over it and they said, hey, we came across this tree and all of them, there's about five of them is the, the Lee and Herring clan. They were, they said, hey, you ought to. He said, hey man, this right here, this little fruit, man, this is what the deer love. And I'm like, really? And they said, yeah, they love this. And they said, you ought to try one. And you ever been somewhere when somebody, a group of people tell you, you ought to try it, and everybody looks at you like, whoop. <laughs> and you go, why are all of you looking at me that I need to try this? <laughs> and so as I did that, call me perceptive, call it discernment, I was like, well, why don't you try first <laughs> and show me how good it is? 
And so one of them grabbed one off, and they did the old, okay, let me show you. I'm like, you did not. I am not six years old. I saw, I'm like, no, I want to see it in your mouth. <laughs> like, what? I was like, no, I don't see you chewing anything. I want to see it in your mouth. Bite it for me. <laughs> They're like, and then I'm like, uh-huh. We caught it. I said, okay, I will try it just because I'm going to play. I'm a good sport. And I took one little thing. And it was so bitter. And I went, ew. I think sometimes we got to be careful in church because we'll get that same look. We're loved. I just love Jesus. Ooh. Don't you want to serve Jesus like me? Mm. <laughs> you got to be careful. You'll sit here and go around and you're trying to win people to Jesus. Like, is it going to make me look like that? I'm good. Thank you. No. Is it going to make me sound like that? I'm okay. I personally believe with all my heart, Jesus was the most joyful human being that ever walked on the face of the planet, even in the midst of everything he got going on. It's not that he wasn't serious, so we're going to look at some of the differences between happiness and joy. But I believe he had intrinsic joy that as he walked around and as he went about his life, it garnered people to just want to come to him. and wanted, That's why throngs followed him, even children. Children love to be around Jesus. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, children, you watch them. If they see somebody with that scowl, they're not going to them like, oh, yeah, let me come over there. <laughs> they're going to run like they, they are drawn to that because of their innocent nature. They love joy. They want to be around that. And I believe Jesus same because they had to actually, his disciples tried to stop them from coming. He's like, hey, y'all, leave Jesus alone. <laughs> and he's like, no, let them come on over. I want them to be here. I want to bless them. And so when we look at this, I think of our founding document, the Constitution. Remember that one of, one of the very first things that it has uh, in the first few sentences, it says this. The unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America, when in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitled them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the cause which impel them to the separation. This is how the 13 colonies, they wrote this thing and said, this is, this is our declaration to you. But it goes on to say this, and many of us are familiar. It says, we hold these truths... To be self-evident. In other words, we don't need to teach you this. This is what we can observe just by looking at how God made us. That all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable, like you can't alienate them from them, alienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Didn't say happiness, the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. In other words, you get these from us that we, they ensure that we get to do this. But this was for the pursuit of happiness, not for the pursuit of joy. And so I want to break this down real quickly. And that's got three things I want to leave you with for joy, that I believe joy is it's what it in. in it what the Holy Spirit instills with us. Happiness has to do more with a feeling. It has to do like it can be, it, it, it can be represented 
by situational. A situation like I can experience happiness because of a situation that's going on. Joy is more of a choice. Like I choose that. Happiness is temporal. Joy is eternal. Happiness is external. Joy is intrinsic and internal. Um, Joy is in the heart. Happiness is on the face. Joy is in the heart. Now, many times, I love this because I love God how he makes different ones. So having been in ministry for many years, there are some people that I know, when I watch, you got you to be perceptive that you would never know they're joyful. But unless you know them. Like, there's people I know, and I'm like, oh, man, they are so happy right now. But if you look at them, you go, that's joy? <laughs> it's not the scowl look. It's just like, man, they are so happy right now. And I'm like, oh, that's so beautiful. I'm not mentioning any names, but there are people in this room right now, you would never know because inside, it's like, oh, it doesn't have to be something they express way out here. It's internal, and they have that. It also, so happiness is more of in the moment, whereas joy transcends our moments. Happiness reacts. Joy embraces. Um. Uh, so joy runs deep and overflows while happiness hugs and says simply hello. Um, joy is practical and a behavior and is deliberate and intentional. Happiness comes and goes sometimes with situations that kind of like, oh, I'm happy. I don't like, I like you now. I don't like you. <laughs> you can use the little flower, the little daisy. He loves me. He loves me not. She loves me. She loves me not. <laughs> And I want to say this, the reason God wants us to have this joy is for our pleasure. It's for us to enjoy this earth until, like I call this side of heaven, he wants you. He wants me to happy. He wants us to have this joy. Matter of fact, joy, if you look in the Greek, it's chara, C-H-A-R-A. It's it's similar to the word grace, which is charis, which is C-H-R-I-S. Grace meaning a supernatural enablement that I didn't earn or deserve. The same thing is true with joy. I can't earn it or deserve it. It's what God gives me. So I like to put it this way. It's what he develops and grows in me. Rick Warren, uh, as I was reading through some uh, stuff, Rick Warren came up with this definition. I thought it was pretty good. It says, joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life, the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right, And the determined choice to praise God in every situation. I want to say this. So when we look at, at in Scripture, there's over 200 references to the word joy itself. There's over 400 references to the word joyful and rejoice because they go hand in hand. When you're joyful, you rejoice and and it's not situational. And so here are the three things real quickly. I want to run I just want to get you and I want you, I want to give you and I want you to have this. Joy, first of all, is connected. Joy is connected. It's connected to somebody and that is our, our heavenly father. Matter of fact, in, in John chapter 15, when Jesus is announcing to his disciples, he's fixing to leave the planet and he's trying to convince them it's to their benefit he's leaving. And I've, I've told you there's no way you can convince me that, hey, it's better for me to leave here. When you're talking about a man who ra- they just a week earlier watched a man raised from the dead. Like they watched him a f- number of times raise people from the dead. 
They watched blind eyes open. They watched uh, lame people come and be able to, I mean, they watched these, these people that had leprosy that was a complete death sentence. They actually get completely cleansed, and he's trying to convince them, it's better for me to go, for you, for me to go away than to, to, go away than to stay. And he's like, what? <laughs> there is no way. I'm going to believe that. But he tells them, it is that way. And the reason he goes on, he says, in verse 9 of John 15, as he's convinced him, he says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. That's the first fruit. It's always, like I said, everything comes from that. He goes on to say, If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. And he said, I told you this so that my joy may be in you, my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. In other words, Jesus is fixing to go to the cross and die. He's fixing to go take a beating far beyond any of us can really handle and, and grasp. But he's telling them this like, it's going to be okay. It's connected to, the person, to, to his person. That's why he says, I want to give you my joy. Not something we got to conjure up. Something we gotta, it's something we receive, something we allow the Holy Spirit to build in us. Luke 10, 17 he had just sent 72 people out to go do ministry, and they go out, and they're going and preaching, telling about the, the king, the kingdom is here, and talking about Jesus, the Savior, and to repent, and, and, and they recognize that every time they go, he said, go and cast out demons and demons and, and heal the sick and, and, and just keep on going. Well, they come back to Jesus in Luke 10, and they're all excited because of one thing. They get excited, and in Luke 10, 17, it says, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Woo! Like, we got power. You know, I got the power. Boom, boom, boom. And they just like, woo! We just gonna take them out. We gonna lay it on. We gonna lay in. It happens, and they're excited about that. Like, I got this power. And Jesus said, hold on, guys, hold it. Whoa, whoa, fellas, y'all so excited. He goes on in verse 20, just a few verses later, he says, however, and he says, it's good. He said, I saw Satan fall. I saw you made a major impact. He said, but however, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your name's written in heaven, you're connected. Nothing, Jesus said, nothing can snatch you, can snatch me out of his hands. One of our Old Testament friends, David, who I love to pieces, I, I've shared with you many times, he's one that I relate very well to. And uh, he, he could do incredibly good things and then could just make that bonehead decision and could do some things. You go, man, why did he choose that? And same thing I do with me. Psalm 1611 says this, however, do not, re oh, excuse me, you make known the, the, to me the path of life. David's talking to the Lord. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hands are pleasures forevermore. He gives us that. So joy, first of all, is connected. Second, joy is constant. Like, it doesn't come and go. Like, our situation, our happiness will go up and down. I don't know about you, but sometimes I can be like a roller coaster. I can start out in the morning, woo, I'm ready to take on the day. And then about lunch, I'm ready, like, the day has already won. Let's call it. It's a day. Let's call it. It's a day. Then you can, you can go through those situations, but joy 
continues right on through it. It's that steady constant that goes all the way through. It doesn't, it doesn't vary according to my, my mood or what I've got going on or the situation that I'm walking through. Matter of fact, Nehemiah 8.10, in, in Nehemiah's day, Nehemiah was called to go and rebuild the walls, the city of Jerusalem, to, to rebuild them. They've been torn down. The, the enemy has, had rattled them. And, and so every time they try to rebuild it, it's like your house. If you didn't have a door on it, Every time, and everybody walks by and says, hey, there's an open door right here. I, nobody wants me to keep out. I'm just going to walk on in. And, and they keep to go in and out however they want to. Nehemiah had that, and he had told them. So they had, they had a real tall task because they, they said, hey, they had to work as well as they had to be working and hold a spear in the same, in the same way. So they're working through this. But in, in chapter 8, verse 10, Nehemiah said to them, Go and enjoy choice food, sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. And it says, this day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Not my joy. His joy is what strengthens me. And I want to say joy is given to me for those moments when I need it most. It's not something I got to muster up. It's something he gives and develops in me as I surrender to him. In, uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, talking about sin, talking about the flesh nature, but submitting to Jesus, it says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles now, let me say to every one of us in this room, and this is, will help you as you go talk to your friends about Jesus. Many people out in our community have been turned off by the church because the church acts like they're better than them. Like, oh, like, I don't send them sinner, sinners, ye. <laughs> and it's like there's a judgment we cast. We may not say it with our words, but we do it with our looks. And we do it with our actions like, I can't talk to you because you're bad. <laughs> Instead of, no, I need to talk to you or you're going to keep being bad. <laughs> like, I was, sent here, I was sent here specifically to help you because there are days that somebody did the same thing for me. And I've got to be the one to help make a difference. And, and, it, and he says, so what he was saying here, everybody has some proclivity towards sin. Like, and it, some of it's similar, but some of it's different. And we don't know, but he says, so everyone, when he says that, the sin that so easily entangles you. So what you deal with may not be the same thing I deal with, but it's still sin. We're not going to go to Romans this morning, but, I, but we could show that and it'd be fun. But right now, for time's sake, it said, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So when we set that aside, just set it aside. Let us run the race marked for us like you've got a destiny. You've been chosen for a purpose. And it says, fixing our eyes, what we said earlier with the word gaze, fixing our eyes on who? On Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that we or you will not, I will not grow weary and lose heart in a world that seems so destitute and so desolate. We need to be the most joyful people on the planet because we're receiving his joy and then we can share that with other people. 
So we've, we've got this joy. And matter of fact, I love what, what Paul prayed, um, Romans 15, 3, 13. He says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of his Holy Spirit. And then the third and final thing is this. So we, we know joy is connected. Joy is constant. And joy is contagious. Joy is contagious. So I, I'm just thankful. I believe God gave me an extra measure of joy when I got saved. And I think it's because of this. I think it's because of how bad I was <laughs> and how mixed up and messed up I was. <laughs> He's like, man, I got to give him this extra measure so he doesn't think about going back there. <laughs> and so I was given that. And still today, I'm so thankful. It's not that. So, so let me say this. Joy is not the absence of problems. But it's, it's in the midst of the struggle. I can still have this constant. I can have this connection. I have this conscience. I can have this contagion that goes, I can still walk through this. Like when I get a diagnosis, I've had friends and, and we're praying for those in the house and those online that, man, you're walking through it. But as you're walking through it, and I've been encouraged by many that I'm like, wow, your faith just challenges and encourages me as you're walking through when you get this diagnosis where you're terminal. And I'm like, yeah, whoa. Like, all of us are terminal. We know that. Like, really, you do? Like, maybe you don't know that. Maybe I just shocked you. But we, we all are. <laughs> but when and how and where, that, now they've been told when and how and where this is going to happen. And so, but, but to see many of them just say, God, I'm, I'm all in you and I'm going to keep this and remain in you. And so when we talk about this thing of contagious, like, man, I'm going to carry that and continue to release that with people and over people because it's the joy of the Lord. I'm reminded in 2 Corinthians when, the, uh, when Paul was on his missionary journeys and um, he went to Macedonia. Um, in 2 Corinthians 8, 1, through 2, 1 and 2, it says this. Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace of God that is given, uh, the, Macedo that, the grace that God has given to the Macedonian church. It says, in the middle of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. In other words, the church was, really it wasn't a very well-to-do church, but in the midst of it, the joy that they had in the Lord helped them to give more than many other churches that had more to give. And it was like, oh, wow. It, what, they didn't let their circumstances um, dictate to them what their joy level was going to be. And then I love this. This is probably, so when we talk about this, this contagious joy, when there's a group of people that just recognize and realize, God, everything I have, it comes from you. There's nothing I've done to earn it or deserve it, nothing I could do. When you come to that realization that it all is a grace, it's all a charis and all a cara, it's a grace gift of joy to me that I didn't earn or deserve, then it gives me the freedom to share that with others. I'm reminded in the Gospel of Luke again where Jesus, in Luke 15, he tells three stories. We're not going to go over them this morning in detail, but three stories that's about lost things. And let me just say to you, when you lose something, <laughs> you're not joyful. <laughs> When you lose your car keys, <laughs> some people are worse than others about that. <laughs> We're not pointing any fingers because we may lose something else. 
And so, but when they're doing, the last thing you're like, oh, thank you, Lord. I'm so glad. Father, thank you. I lost my car keys. <laughs> no, you're all into it. You can't think of anything but that. And it's usually when you take your mind off for a minute and you step back away from the situation and you just lean in the Lord and say, okay, Lord, I, I can't find them. Now, when I was a kid, as a Catholic, I was told to pray to St. Anthony. That's what I was told. Pray. Any, any of my Catholic brethren and sisters in here, that's what it was. I was like, hey, and I kept wondering, why can't I just talk straight to God? Why do I got to go through a, somebody else? And I was like, but anyhow, I was like, so when you step back and you say, God, Lord, okay, I can't find this. I really need this. Usually is when you, something tr- comes up and something happens that you're able to do that. Now, that's a temporal thing, but there's eternal joy as well. And that's where Jesus is talking about lost things. So he talks about first a lost sheep. And there's one lost and there's 100 sheep and, a, and he loses one. The, the shepherd loses one. And instead of just saying, well, I got 99 more, I'm good. <laughs> Who cares about it? I got 99. He leaves the 99 to go find the one. Instead of just celebrating, well, I got, I got 99 more, it's Okay. He actually comes back and he carries the sheep on his shoulder and wants people to rejoice with him. Say, look, my sheep, I found it. And this is what Jesus, he gave us a perspective that I want us to have here today. In Luke 15, 7, he says this, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. He was saying, whoa, hold it, the one that really needs us. He goes on. The second one, he does coins. And a woman loses 10 coins. It started out with 100, and it goes to 10, and then it goes to 2. And the second one, the same way, when she finds like, look, I found my coin. He said in the same way in verse 10, Luke 15, he says, in the same way I tell you that in, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And what Jesus is saying to us here. And I believe he's getting us a perspective as an eternal perspective of joy. That this earth, Jesus told us in this life, we are going to have troubles. We are going to have situations that we're not prepared for. We're going it, to, it, it can be financial, it can be spiritual, it can be relational, it can be, I, I think the biggest attack in our society, and it's always has been, is through marriage, is the number one thing that the enemy loves to attack. The, the second thing is our children. He loves to try to bring dissension and try to tear that apart. That's why we pray diligently for people and couples and for families and for lost loved ones. It's the same way. If, if one of your children right now, if, if they're away from you, and this is why we got to get this perspective of joy. If they were away from you right now, sitting in this room would be a real struggle for you. It would be a real battle. You wouldn't, hey, let me go to church. My, my son or my daughter's lost. You would be doing everything you could to try to do that. I believe God the same way. He wants us to see, man, I really do love every person. And I really do want us. He really wants to fill us with his joy. He really wants us to have that overwhelming sense that it's going to be okay. He's in charge. He can do this so that we can then go out and share his truth, his life, his love with a world that needs it desperately. I mean, I think... Right now, of what's going on in our world today, 
I can't be in Ukraine right now, but I, I think, I know my wife has been wrecked by it. That's her real big thing of the people, and it's, it's real big. It's an issue that this, I'm just going to go in and invade this country because I want it. Or I think of right now, my people, that I'm, I don't know if I have relatives, but I know I'm, my, my grandfather came from Syria. And so there may be some, you know, Lejeunes over there I'm not aware, I'm not aware of. He was Alan when he came here. But, but the fact that there, there, there are men, women, and children whose lives are, re are wrecked. You keep reading stories. And what happens is it's so far away, we don't acknowledge it because, oh, that's over there. That's not mine. But it's us. We have real situations here that in the midst of those, I like to put it like this. It's like something that anesthetizes. It doesn't make the pain go away, but it gives me the ability to walk through something. And so this joy that God gives us, this underlying sense that it's going to be okay, this underlying assurance that in the midst of, I may not know the outcome, uh, like the, the, the temporal outcome, but I know the eternal outcome. And this is where we've got to join together and say, God, I need your joy. I need, I, I don't, I don't want to just have a superficial, I got to just try to fake it or I just got to, I need you to deposit and grow in me this fruit of joy that gives me the ability to walk through any situation, any circumstance that it's not good. And there again, this isn't saying those circumstances are good in any way, but it gives me the ability to go to a situation, say, Lord, I, I'm, I'm, I know you're for me. I know you got this. And so I want to I wanna challenge us as I close right now with this. Is there anything right now that you're facing, and that's for those in this auditorium and those online that's bigger than you are. Like I said, it could be a diagnosis. It could be a, a loved one. Um, it could be financial. It could be any number. It could be something that you've just not been able to overcome. And it's really been, you've been battling and you've been struggling. And this morning, I believe that God, he gives us joy for our mourning. He gives us that. And I don't want it to, it's not that we don't mourn. We're going to mourn. We do cry. We do have situations that breaks our heart and does that. But the underwhelming, the underlying, there is a, a rock. There's a solid ground and it's joy that we can stand on being assured that God, you're able to do far above what I can think or ask. And so this morning, I want us to take just a moment and allow one of these, this, this fruit of joy, this fruit of joy, Lord, we need your joy. You, your, your, your servant, Paul, prayed for that, that we would, he prayed that, Lord, you would give us your joy. Lord, I thank you right now first for the joy of your salvation that you freely give to every human being. Thank you, Lord, for that. And if you've never had the joy of knowing, it is, knowing what it's like to know that no matter what happens to you on this planet, you will be in heaven forever with Jesus. 
That's the first joy you could ever, the greatest joy you'll ever experience. Because without that, there's a lot of fear involved on this planet. There's a lot of fear below heaven, below the sun. So I'd love for you to experience that first. So Father, thank you. First and foremost, anyone here in this auditorium online that has not experienced the joy of knowing their sins are forgiven, knowing that you've paid the eternal price, that you are not holding men's sins against them, that you've freely forgiven them because of what Jesus did. It cost us nothing, but it cost you everything. And in return, you called us, just like Jesus gave his life, that we would give our life to you. So, Lord, I pray right now that that would be the first joy every person watching or here listening this morning would experience. Secondly, Father, I thank you. The joy of situations right now. That, Lord, every one of us have things that pull and tug at our hearts and our minds and our thoughts that things aren't going to turn out so well and that it's not going to work out. It'll, it happens for others, but it's not going to happen for me. And, Lord, I pray this morning that underlying joy, Jesus, like you said, for the joy set before you, you endured everything you had to. But it started with the joy and it ended there. So it wasn't just, joy wasn't just in the destination. Jesus, you give it to us in the journey as well. So Lord, I thank you right now for your joy being poured out in your people in a greater measure, in a great way right now. Father, thank you right now for doing that. And I just say to everyone here in this auditorium and online, the same way you receive salvation, anything we receive from God is by faith. It's not by works. It's only only thing you can do is receive it. So, Lord, I thank you for giving it in abundant measure right now for every situation. Thank you, Lord, in my own life for all the tensions that, 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 that are in me, Lord. Thank you for your joy that transcends those. Give me that, Lord. I thank you for it. I thank you for continually producing that in my life as things continue to pop up and crop up. Lord, thank you for giving me that and giving each one of us that in Jesus' mighty name. Hmm. Now, I want you to do one thing. Because the Bible says we're supposed to rejoice even in trials and conflict. I want, you to, I want you to close your eyes with me for just a moment. And I want you to think of the biggest tension you have right now, the biggest struggle you have right now. I want you to think of it right now, whatever it could be. If you're at home, you can do the same thing, whatever. I want you to, I mean, this is the one that weighs heavy on your brain. It weighs heavy on your heart. And I want you to do something totally off the wall. And I want you to just smile right now at that thing. Whatever it is, it it could be a sickness, it could be a thing. Whatever it is, I want you to take just a moment. And I want you to just smile. And you're not saying it's it's all gone, it's all better. But you're saying, hey, it's going to be all right. With God, it's going to be okay. And that joy that begins to well up, like it gives you a reminder, God, you got this. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.
But if you'll stand up with me at this time, thank you so much. I am believing God for this. I'm believing God for the fruit of love. I'm believing God for the fruit of joy. And next week we're going to look at peace. I'm believing for these fruit to continually be produced in you so you can go not just spend them on yourself like, oh, I'm just happy. (laughs) But you're going to go share them with other people. Because there are people in this world right now that are walking through situations that don't have the love. They don't have the joy. They don't have the peace. They don't have that. And God's called us to go ahead and demonstrate that. So I do want to let you know that we'll be available. People will be available here to pray for you if you need that. Um, be able to lay hands on you if, you, if you'd like. Um, and that I also want to remind you, there's, there's a number of groups. I want you to get involved. I want, you to, I want you to connect with each. I want you to don't walk through this by yourself. Connect with others. Link arms with people. Say, hey, how you doing? And uh, I promise you, you'll do better together than you do by yourself. Amen. Open your hands to receive from the Lord, those in the auditorium, those online. Father God, you're the creator of the universe. And you're the one who commanded blessing to be spoken over your people, that your name might be placed on them. And you, in turn, would do the blessing. And so I say to each one of you, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord causes his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift the light of his countenance on you, give you his peace, his power, his provision, his protection, and his joy. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, amen. God bless you. Don't forget, we're going to give you a little something. It's not not real fruit, but there's fruit in there. I think there's some part of it is.